Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. My name is John Adams, one of the pastors here, and we are in a series out of the book of Isaiah And if you want to look at Isaiah 64 with us, we're going to be digging in to this chapter today. And you might remember that Isaiah had been preaching almost 40 years. I'm at about 37 years. Uh, And he preached and he prophesied. He called out sin. And yet after all those years in among the southern Israel, Judah, the people there, he saw little change of their hearts. There was no revival, really. And in today's passage, Isaiah 64, we're going to see how Isaiah prays for God's presence to come down and to bring a change of heart, even in the midst of the struggles of of God's people. It seemed like, it was like, it had to be frustrating for Isaiah. It seemed like the more he preached, the, the the worse God's people became in their sin. And the more there was deterioration and rebellion and, and, and kind of a, a complete disregard of God and his word. And so Isaiah has been crying out for God to change hearts. And we see that in this passage. He's praying something like this in this, today's chapter. Lord, I know you've done it in the past. Please do it again. Do it again today. And maybe that's your prayer. I know it is my prayer for the church both around the world, but the church also in our nation, in our church as well. So Isaiah, again, has seen little faith and little repentance. And yet he, he so he predicts what God is, is going to do. In about 100 years, um, Babylon is going to come and deport and, and cause um, God's people to be actually imprisoned in Babylon. And their city, their beautiful city of Jerusalem, it will be destroyed. And in the middle of the city is the temple up on the Temple Mount. And it was the Solomon's incredibly gorgeous temple, but the most important beauty was the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant destroyed, gone. And in a hundred years, that Isaiah is saying, this is going to happen. And probably many of the people were like naysayers. Oh yeah, really, that's not going to happen, Isaiah. You're just a, a doom, doomsday kind of guy. And, and so they were over, some of them were overconfident in their life, and certainly many of them were trusting their own works. And so we need to learn from what God is, God is teaching us today for our church and for our lives, that really our sin ultimately ruins, but God restores and revives And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that there is no God besides you, Lord. And so as we dig in, we're going to see here in verses 1 through 5 that Isaiah cries out for God's people, even in the midst of their rebellion. He cries out to the one alone who restores 
and revives his people's hearts. Look at verse 1. He begins this way. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous British preacher, comments on this verse. The word oh expresses a person who knows their deep need and, their own, and only God can provide the resources to help. Now think about the hardest moments of your life. In those moments, were you humbly saying, God, I'm powerless on my own in my own work. And I desperately need you and your help. You see, we can learn from Isaiah right here that even when everyone else is turning away from God, Isaiah says, Lord, you rend the heavens. You rip open those heavens and come down. Come down and change the hearts of your people. You know, Isaiah paints this picture of an unseen God who we can't see, he's a spirit. Uh, we know that from John chapter 4. And, and, and so we can't see him with our physical eyes, but what he's saying by the eyes of faith, that we, his people, would see God, and we would see and, and welcome his presence to come change our hearts and to change our lives, our tr the way we trust him. Um, the way that God came and kind of, if you will, manifest ways throughout the scripture. It's pretty powerful. They're called theophanies. Theoph Theos means God in Greek. Phanos means manifestation of. So it's a manifestation of God where God's people actually saw the invisible God made visible. And so we see that in just different places, like in the Old Testament. Remember the mountains that shook Mount Sinai when when Moses won and received the law, the mountains literally shook. And then when he led the people through the Red Sea, the sea walls opened. And millions of God's people went through the sea walls. And of course, we know that his enemies, the Egyptians, came too. And, and after the, God's people came safely to the other side, the waters crashed in judgment on the enemies of God. You see, there are theophanies throughout the Bible, and here Isaiah is crying out, bring it, Lord. We want our faith, our eyes of our faith, to see more the unseen God. Verse 2 goes on. He says, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known, to your adversaries. This name is his character. It's who he is. And to make it known to your adversaries and that the nations, the, every people group, might tremble at your presence when you did awesome things that we did not look for. You came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. You see, God's presence can rescue and revive, and it can also destroy his enemies. We know uh, here he's describing in verse 2, his presence is kind of like a, a fire, a, almost a wildfire, and it's, it boils, burning, it's 
boils pots. And, and, and it, it actually, God himself will consume all of his and our enemies. And the enemies of, uh, of God, we know, again, we already referred to the Egyptians who, who were the enemies of God's people. And they were destroyed at the Red Sea. And we know that at the end of history, Philippians 2.10 says, Paul writes, so that at the name of Jesus, the name against the character of God, every knee shall bow. How many knees will bow? All of them. Every knee. Every person, believer and unbeliever, before God in heaven will bow before the presence of God. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who are the enemies of God? You know, all of us, apart from Christ, were once enemies of God. And I think, I'm sorry, you so thankful, grateful that you're, you're no longer an enemy if you know, are a follower of Jesus. You're a friend of God. You're his beloved. And, and we know that our current enemies, many of them are unseen, just like God himself is an unseen spirit. So most of our enemies we face are Satan and demons, and we don't even realize it. We as Americans, we, we're very, you know, sight, taste, touch, sensory operating. And what we are, what here in this passage he's saying is, is notice that, that here our enemies are even in the spiritual realm. And we need to be aware of Ephesians 6 says, the, the cunning of our enemy, the devil, who wants to snare us into temptation. He wants to accuse us of sin. He wants to condemn you. And have you today not feel forgiven even when you come before God to be forgiven. And so we today need to be alert and aware of the sneaky attacks of our unseen enemy, Satan and his demons. Verse 4 goes on, it says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. From of old is talking about all of history, from the beginning of creation to, this, to that day. And no ear is talking about all that's been revealed, and no eye is talking about all that is perceived. And in essence, as we look around, we should be saying, there is no other God like you, Lord. And, and some of us, you know, probably many of us in this room don't struggle with other gods, you know, like physical idols. But we have our hearts wander from God. And like Adam and Eve, sometimes we make ourselves Lord of our life. We, we don't do what our, we sang earlier where we say, High King of Heaven, Lord, you're the... I'm putting my whole thoughts and my whole life under you. You see, that is a submissive person under the lordship of Christ. And we can, we can when we sin, we are doing self-exaltation and actually saying, God, just like Adam and Eve did, 
I know better than you. I'm trusting in this other thing, other than you. So, as we come, we, we see there is no God besides you, Lord. And the Apostle Paul quotes verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, but as it is written, notice referring to uh, the Old Testament book, Isaiah. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. God's love and what he's prepared for us in, in the heavens is way beyond even our comprehension. And we need faith given to us. Um, Paul says, Ephesians 2.18, that our eyes of our faith, not our physical eyes, but literally our hearts, would grasp how great and how wonderful is the love and the work of our unseen, invisible God. God, open our eyes to see that. God, give us the faith to believe that, Lord. And so... Verse 4, he says again, No eye has seen and a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. For our God acts for those who wait for him. This, this word wait means to have a confident, patient expectancy. An expectant faith. Are we having that kind of a faith? Are we asking God to give us that confidence and saying, Lord, we can't wait for what you're going to do. And Lord, we're trusting you and what you are going to do in our lives, in the lives of our family, certainly the lives of the world, the lives of the church universal, and the lives of this church, the vine. I love how the, Isaiah uses the word wait in a pretty well-known passage, Isaiah 4031. You remember it? It goes this way. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their faith. They shall walk, they shall mount up on wings of eagles. So you have to wait on God. You have to stop and be expectant and say, Lord, I have faith in you. And then God brings us, He gives us the faith that. that begins to allow us to, if you will, to soar above the feelings and even the hard moments of our circumstances. He gives us peace, joy, help, even in the midst of hard things. He teaches us over and over that we are to wait, to wait and be confident and expectant upon him, especially when life feels hard. So one way to wait on the Lord practically is, God instructs us in this word, is to pray. And of course, we pray at meals. We pray, um, you know, at certain times when we have struggles. And that would be right and good. But what if we began to, to pray together even more for revival? For God to revive our hearts to revive the hearts internationally and, and nationally and in the hearts of our, our hearts here at the Vine. Our, let's, let's 
begin to think about how do we pray that way? Uh, one way we're doing that here at the Vine is for about 15 years, we've been praying for revival and awakening internationally and nationally. And in our hearts, uh, here at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, are you excited about that time? I know it's a hard time and probably few will join us on that. And thanks for Paul Phipps for leading that for 15 years. And we haven't seen you know, a, a great awakening hit our nation. We have seen, we do rejoice in what he's doing in parts of South America and Africa, especially. But we're asking, Lord, would you please even do more? Would you come down and revive the hearts, our hearts right here as well? We'd love to join in in this. So you, so you may not join us on Wednesday mornings on that, what's now a prayer conference call which you can find that number at our website. Uh, but, the, um, <clears throat> but if you don't, here's one way you can join in praying for revival for the church internationally and nationally, is that word Maranatha. <laughs> I would say inject the word Maranatha regularly into your prayer life, into your life this week. I would encourage you every day, to remember to pray the word Maranatha. What does the word Maranatha mean? It means, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And of course, it applies particularly to his Jesus' second return. He's come as a baby, and he died on the cross. He ascended to heaven, and he's promised to come again. Until he does, he has instructed all of us to pray what? Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And until he does come, also Maranatha means, I believe, as we look at this passage today, Holy Spirit, until that day, would you come quickly and revive the hearts of God's people, of your people? Would you change our hearts? So let's pray together that word, Maranatha. Will you say with me, Maranatha? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And let's remember that throughout this week to pray that every day and, and get into a pattern of saying, God, we do want you to come. We do want you to revive and rend the heavens and come down. And so we see also in verses five through seven that we realize that, that the blame is due, due to our sin. Like the people of Israel, you know, we're the ones who have failed and sinned. Isaiah 64, 5 says, You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. That's good. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. And in our sins, we've been in a long, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? Isaiah asks, Three rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question expects a certain answer. And in this passage, and we see that in verses 5 through 12. Verse 5, the first rhetorical question. In our sins, we have been a long time. Shall we be saved? In verse 12, the second one. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? 
Thirdly, will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? You see, God is both loving and just in who he is, his name, who he is. We know that without faith in Christ, we won't be saved. God won't restrain his wrath. He will continue to be silent and afflict us. But with Christ, as we, by faith, believe in Jesus, are united with him in faith, we know, we're confident that with Christ we will be saved. His wrath is poured not onto us, but onto his son, his perfect son, Jesus. We deserve the justice, but we get mercy and grace. So, as we think about your own sin, and, and you're thinking about revival in this passage, pray, Lord, what am I to own? Lord, help me to take responsibility to repent and believe you to, to kill and mortify and kill my sin more and more and more and cause me to live in your righteousness. Here in verse 6, he goes on, he says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We see in verses these verses 5 through 7, overall, that he kind of almost does like an anatomy of sin or puts sin under a microscope. And he begins by saying in verse 6 there, uh, the, that there were, we have all become like one who is unclean. It's referring to a leper. And in Isaiah's day, a leper lived in their own colonies outside the gates of the city. And when a person who is not a leper, met a leper on the road. The leper was, would cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine if that's what you did your whole life. That's on you. What do you have? I mean, wow. And they would know to avoid the leper and not become unclean. And our sin is like leprosy. It's like being a leper. It's unclean. And and. And also, as we think about it, Isaiah says that our righteous works are like a polluted garment. That's our good works. Imagine what our bad works are like. You know, that's what, what Charles Spurgeon says, an English preacher says, if our righteousnesses are so bad, what must our unrighteousnesses be? That's a mouthful. But what he's saying there is, if our good works are like a polluted garment, which is actually talking about a woman after she's had her period, it's, it's pretty graphic. He says, what does then our sin look like if that's our righteousness compared to God? You see how, how it's, he's not trying to put down that your works are not important. He's trying to say, you so need the righteousness of God. And we know we get it through Christ, in Christ alone. He continues to describe sin under a microscope and where he says, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We're frail and we blow away like a little leaf. We're swept away, and the sweeping away is actually talking about really a judgment. It's, he's saying if you're relying on your own works, they're not going to be good enough. 
It's just going to cause you to, your life to be swept away and not to cling to the righteous work of God. And so <clears throat> we need to rely on Christ's perfect righteousness. Do we know how much we need him? Do we know really how both sinful our sin is and how powerless we are in our own spiritual works? All of us are like that. Verse 7 says, There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and you have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. You know, we're caught up in our sin. When we're not repentant, we're not trusting God. And after this prophecy, we know in a um, hundred years later, Babylon would deport God's people. Jerusalem would be in shambles. The temple destroyed. It was a bad time. The people were, could not even rouse themselves. They were spiritually sleepy. Like Jonah, remember when he was in sin and, and, and he was headed in the opposite direction from where he was called? And he fell asleep. He was sleepy in his sin. Many in the church today are sleepy in their sin. And I love, you know, um, the old Keith Green song. It's really old. It shows my age, man. It says, it's called, entitled, A Sleep in, in the Light. We're in the light, but we're sleepy. And we need to be roused to call upon the name of the Lord, to pray, to practice the spiritual disciplines, to trust Christ and his work alone, ultimately. You see, the good news is this, verses 4 and 5. God never changes, and though he will not overlook our sin and just, okay, I'm sorry, I don't see it. No, he's... He has to do something with your sin. He does not judge you for your sin if you're in him, if you know Christ. He is also never changes in his grace. He does something about his sin, our sin. He sent his perfect son to die on our behalf. Hallelujah. What a savior. What a Lord, right? What a God. He chose us and sent his son to take our sins upon himself. Our God never changes in his grace. And his pursuing you with his amazing love. And so we see Isaiah wraps up this chapter in verses 6 through 12. And then our father restores us in, even when we have doubts and questions Look at verse 8. But now, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay. You are our potter, we are all the work of your hand. Um, commentator um, David Guzik writes, A father is always a father. He can never truly disown his children, right, dads? A potter cannot disown the pot. It's only there because he made it. He made us. He, he has chosen you. If you know Christ is your Savior and Lord, he is your dad. And you can't lose him. You can't sin hard enough, bad enough to be, for God to say, I'm no longer your father. I disown you. No. 
He is faithful to be your father eternally, both now and forever. And so (laughs) he'll continue to love us. And I love the older I get, I just realize how amazing God's grace is. I was driving over this morning, just obviously praying and getting ready for this sermon. It just overwhelmed me. I was listening to a song that was talking about God's grace and how undeserved it is. And it just made me weep, thinking, because of my sin, God continues to love and pursue me. And it just overwhelmed me with a sense of, how great is your, are you, God? There's no one besides you. May he, may he continue to change each one of our hearts to cause us to rejoice in his work, whatever your feelings are or even your situation is. Isaiah knew it was, it was a hard time. I mean, he was a naysayer. And again, soon, Jerusalem would be in shambles. Their life as Jewish people would be ruined. It would be like America ruined, if you will. And amidst the rubble and amidst living in a strange and distant land, he acknowledged that it was his heart and the heart of his people who were the problem. Isaiah, Isaiah, but in the midst of all the struggle and all the pain that they would face in the years to come, look at verse 9, what he reminds us of. We, Lord, are all your people. Thanks be to you. Thank you, God. We deserve your silent treatment eternally because of our sin. And yet we get your love and affection. Look at, if you know Christ, when you die, when you go before him, he's not going to wag his hand at you. He's going to say, come here, my son or daughter. I can't wait to embrace you with my love. Because of my son, Jesus. We deserve judgment, but yet we humbly receive by faith his great grace. Our rescue and restoration. And may we cry out as the church today, as distracted as you may be in your life, that we would focus and say, Maranatha, Come, Lord, rend the heavens, come down, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And until that day, Spirit of God, would you come and change mine, the hearts of your people. We remember that God kept all of his promises. And he kept and did all the work through his son, Jesus Christ, He sent him, and he was born. Christ was born. Christ lived the perfect life of personal obedience. He never failed to keep the law of God. And at the cross, he was punished, taking the anger of God upon himself for our failures, for our sins. Jesus took that all for us. He didn't deserve it. We did. And yet he says, I offer to you my grace. You see, there's no God besides our God. As we think about this passage in our lives, you know, 
Our sin ruins, ruins us, ruins relationships. It ruins almost everything. But God, God, but God restores and revives. Place your trust in him and no other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work, and we praise you for your son Jesus, who himself took upon himself the anger and wrath we deserved due to our sins. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.